Way to go. Way to go. Uh, so we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount for a while now. In fact, we've actually gone through the entire thing, and uh, now we're sort of, uh, what is it the kids say? We're riffing. Yeah. We're sort of freestyling because there's some really important stuff in the Sermon on the Mount that we could spend weeks and weeks on just all by themselves. But I just want to tell you, you are in luck today because I left my glasses behind. So, um, so you know, I can only go on for so long. Um, so in the Sermon on the Mount, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's Jesus' most well-known sermon. It's, it's, uh, it's referred to all the time. There are many cliches and phrases throughout our society that are actually born from this particular Uh, this particular section of the scripture, but what Jesus does is he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount how to build our lives wisely on a solid foundation, and he addresses some of the most pressing issues of our day throughout the Sermon on the Mount, like hatred, anger, pride, humility, wealth, poverty. I wrote down a whole bunch of them here. Adultery and fidelity. Uh, divorce, commitment, retribution, dealing with difficult people. Can I get an amen? Okay, yes, there it is. Um, generosity, uh, anxiety, worry, just to name a few. Passing judgment on other people. Need I go on? And people say the Bible's not relevant. Please. You probably just found yourself somewhere in almost, you know, like a, at least half of those things that I just said. Okay, and the approach that Jesus is taking is that this lesson I'm giving you in the Sermon on the Mount, this isn't a message of salvation. Salvation is free, God's free gift to you by faith in Christ. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this is how you live as a person who's been saved and is on their way to heaven. Right now, you're living as a citizen of God's kingdom here on earth, and this is how you do it. This is how you be that person. And he wraps it all up this way. And it's just my mission right now for everyone at Center Church to have these four verses committed to memory. And if you don't yet, I don't know how many more times I can say it. But chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he says, for contrast, in the next verse, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who built their house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and it fell with the wind blew and beat against the house. I don't want to forget that part. And it fell with a great crash. And it fell because it had its foundation on the sand. Jesus is saying, if you want to live above the chaos, above the noise, above the futility of life in the world around you, think about how futile most of our life is. All of the things that we work and work and work and pour out our energy and anxiety into, most of them eventually will just mean nothing. Eventually, they just disappear. Jesus says, if you want to live above all that, if you want to live in my eternal kingdom starting now, take my word and build your life on it. Build your life on my word. Put the things I've taught you into practice. That's how he closes it all off. In the very last verse, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Jesus is done talking. It says, all of the people were astonished because he spoke with such authority. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff, but it also implies that, hey, 
none of this is at all useful to you if Jesus is not your authority. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes I might say Jesus is my authority, but then I go out and I live full of anxiety or I'm afraid. Well, Jesus says, don't fear. So who's the authority, my fear or Jesus, right? He has to be in our authority in our life for it to matter. So Jesus has a lot to say about all of these issues, way beyond just what's recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. So what I want to do, at least for today, we'll see what happens in subsequent weeks, is just drill down on a few of them. And the one that I really want to drill down on today is, is to see what Jesus, look back at what Jesus had to say about prayer, okay? So my job as your pastor is actually not to, like, pump you up right now, although if we can accomplish that too, that's great. Uh, but that's actually not the job of a pastor. That's the job of a hype man, okay? The job of a pastor is to equip you to build your life on the foundation of Christ and to live your life on the mission of Christ, so in our cultural context, like we sort of, we have cultural, cultural expectations of pastors, like that they'll be counselors. Well, some pastors actually are counselors. Neither Pastor Rick nor I are, but we can refer you to a great counselor if you would like that. Love to do that. Be happy to help you out with that. Um, sometimes pastors give advice on all kinds of things that are outside the scope of what pastors should do. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. This is what pastors do. Equip the saints for works of ministry. That's what pastors should do. So I just want to equip you, okay? I want to make sure that I'm actually on task right now. We're going to turn our attention to prayer. So let's keep it real. Okay, we do that here, right? We, we, we're honest, okay? The strength of this church is not flash or hype. The strength of this church is sincerity, uh, authenticity, okay? This is who we are. So here's real talk. When I said we're going to talk about prayer, many of the people in this room had a reaction, something like this. Eh, no, don't deny it. Don't, that's kind of what you thought. Thank you, brother. I expected that from Scott. Okay, when somebody says, hey, we're going to talk about prayer, most of us, most of us are not going to go, woo. Okay, that's not the first reaction that we have, okay? I'm asking God to change your mind about that. I'm asking God to change my mind about that. I'm asking God to open our eyes to see the power of prayer and to actually find enjoyment in being present with him. Okay, now... I know that I don't have the power to do that, which is great news, because it means even if I do yell louder, it's not going to make you want to pray more. Yeah, maybe you'll get excited with me for a few minutes, okay? but the power is in the Word. The power is communicated from God to us through the Holy Spirit. So let's take a moment and let's pray, and let's ask God to do that work in our hearts to help us find joy in prayer. You ready? Lord, I, I just thank you for this opportunity that... I have right now with my voice and that we all have in our heart to just come before you, the God of the universe, and to know that you want to hear from us and you want to speak to us through your word. So God, we just celebrate. We just take delight in being your children. We know that our, our future is secure and we just ask you right now, our heavenly dad, would you speak to us through your word, through your son? Amen. Amen. Okay, you ready? Are you more excited about prayer now? Okay, all right, we got some takers. Uh, one of the most influential people in your life and in all of our society is a guy named Martin Luther. Not MLK, not Dr. King, the guy that MLK is actually named after. Crazy story about that, okay? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., his original name is actually Michael. 
But his dad, Michael Sr., went on a trip to Germany when MLK was a little kid, by I think about five years old. He went to Germany and learned all about Martin Luther, the, o the OG, the original Martin Luther. And when he came back, he was so moved by Martin Luther and all that he did that he actually changed Martin Luther King Jr.'s name to Martin Luther King from Michael King. He actually changed his name after he had like already gone by Michael for years. That's how influential the OG is, the original Martin Luther, okay? Uh, we don't have time to talk about all of the ways that he's influenced us. I'm just going to throw out a few to you, okay? Uh, if not for Martin Luther, the pilgrims probably never set out from, uh, from the old world and come to the new world. That probably doesn't ever happen. If not for Martin Luther, you don't own a Bible. That's highly unlikely that you own a Bible personally. Without Martin Luther, we're probably not a nation at all, let alone one that has its foundations on any form of biblical governance, okay? So just to name a few, uh, the original Martin Luther, he's kind of a big deal, okay? We can talk about him some other day. I only mention all of that just to lend credibility to what he said about prayer. You ready? To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing, so if we just follow that to its logical conclusion, okay, if he's right about that, it means that if I consider myself a Christian, but I don't pray, I'm probably not following Jesus. So, so I either need to like change that, the prayer aspect, or stop calling myself a follower of Jesus, if he's right. That's, like, that's pretty intense, right? Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of the 19th century, this is how big of a deal Charles Spurgeon was. Tens of thousands of people would come to hear Charles Spurgeon preach before the microphone was invented. This is crazy, right? So he's like the Billy Graham uh, of the 19th century, except he didn't have a microphone or a television or like stadiums to go speaking. This is what he said. He was, he was talking about, um, he said, you can gauge God's presence in a church by how important prayer is to them, okay? That's how you can tell God's presence is in a church by how important prayer is to them. And he said, if God is not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. One of the first ways you'll know that God is not there among those people is if they don't care about prayer. That's how seriously he took it. Now, you might feel clumsy. You might feel silly when you pray. You might feel bored. You might get sleepy. Um, what I would say to that is the power doesn't reside with you, so don't worry about it. The power of prayer resides with God. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. doesn't matter necessarily how you feel or how you, uh, or even the words that you say. He's the one with the power, so don't worry about it. Okay, now there's a pretty influential pastor. This one might be a little more familiar to you because he's kind of contemporary. His name is Jim Cimbala. Um, he's, he's older now. He was really prominent like in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, prayer is like the crux of what they do at the, in their ministry. This is what he said about prayer. He said, no matter what I preach, okay, I'm saying this for me, okay, what, what I, no matter what I claim to believe or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times of prayer, okay? I could stand up here and give you the worst sermon you've ever heard. How am I doing? <laughs> am I on my way? Okay. But the future doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on prayer. It depends on how seriously we take our time with God, okay? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught all of his followers how to pray. You know, remember um, in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning it says his disciples came to him, but it's not talking about the 12 in the Sermon on the Mount. 
It's probably like 150, 200 people, all of the people who were following Jesus. Just like we're disciples, but we're not one of the 12, right? Okay, in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches them how to pray. That's Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, okay? And he said, basically, don't make a show of it. Just come to God humbly and sincerely. And then he said, and pray like this. He gave them what we know as the Lord's Prayer, okay? That's, that happened in the Sermon on the Mount. On a different occasion, though, his disciples, the 12, they saw him praying. And then when he was done, they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that is recorded in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bible with you, um, I just took a really long on-ramp to this. If you have your Bible with you or your device, we're going to be in Luke 11 for the remainder of our time together. Here's how the situation played out. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, that sounds a lot like what he said to the group of people back in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's not identical, but it's very similar. Uh, And that's because sometimes, as a leader, and you're leaders in various ways, especially if you have kids uh, or you work with kids, sometimes you got to say the same thing more than once. Am I right? Okay. Yeah, you you all know what I'm talking about right there. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's reiterating the same point to his immediate followers that he earlier made to everyone. Now, here's what I find really interesting, okay? At this point, the disciples have seen Jesus do crazy stuff, all kinds of amazing things, right? They've seen him miraculously heal people, people who are like in their 30s and have never walked in their life. Jesus says, hey, how about walking? And they hop up and walk, right? Uh, They saw him feed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. Pretty cool, right? Pretty amazing. Uh, one that they saw just shortly before this is we call it, we refer to it as the transfiguration. They saw the literal presence of God come down and rest on Jesus, and they heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son, listen to him. I don't know about you, that doesn't happen to me every day, okay? The disciples have seen Jesus do these things and many others, presumably a bunch of them that we don't even know about because they're not recorded. They, they, know, uh, they know that Jesus has all kinds of crazy power because they've seen him do stuff, and yet they don't say, Jesus, teach us how to heal people. That seems like it'd be a pretty useful skill, right? Like, that would have really changed our experience of the pandemic if we had that ability. Like, that would have been a great thing to pray. Or they could have prayed, Jesus, teach us to turn, turn water into wine. Some of you are like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one I want right there. I would have prayed, God, if you want me to have that wine, please make it taste better. That would have been, that would have been my prayer. They could have prayed that. Uh, they could have prayed or said, Jesus, teach us how to take a little bit of food and turn it into a whole bunch of food. Because, you know, inflation and all, that would be really great right now. Especially if you have teenage kids living in your house. Can I get an amen, Brandon? Yeah. Help me make this food. Help me multiply this. They could have said that. But what they said was, teach us to pray. And I've thought a lot about why. Because it seems like the other stuff would have been a lot more useful or at least more practical. 
why. And as I examine the scripture and I see the trajectory and the conversations that the disciples have with Jesus, it's very obvious to me that they have realized that Jesus' power flows from his prayerful connection to God. They, they've, they've, they've made this connection that somehow there's a relationship between the time Jesus spends with the Father and the power that comes that they see in his life. The power flowed by way of prayer. So I'll give you an example of it just to substantiate that. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus' disciples go out and they encounter this person who's being uh, harassed and tormented by uh, demonic powers. And they try to deal with it on their own, but they can't. And then Jesus has to come along and fix it for them. Jesus casts out the demon, and, they, and after the fact, they say, hey, Jesus, how come that didn't work for us? And what does Jesus say? This kind can only come out by prayer. There's a power in prayer. Jesus knew how to stay in touch with God through prayer. You might say, all right, but that was Jesus. Yeah, I say, yeah, that's kind of a fair point. I, I see what you're saying, okay? But try this one out. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about someone in our church. I'm not going to tell you their name because I didn't ask them if I could tell you this story. But if you want to substantiate it, if you're like, yeah, I don't really trust anybody in red plaid, um, you can ask Jessica, although she's wearing red plaid too. I should have thought that through better. Uh, Jessica is familiar with this. So if you want to like substantiate this, feel free to ask her. She doesn't know that I'm going to tell the story either. A few weeks ago, it's been about four weeks ago now, I'm standing out in the lobby after church. And there's a woman who's been here a few times. I've met her before, but we don't know each other particularly well. She's headed for the door, and then she turns around and comes back to me. And she says, would you pray with me? I just, I really need a job. Okay, now, you might remember this particular Sunday because we talked about, uh, we were in the Sermon on the Mount, we were talking about what Jesus has to say about anxiety and worry. And at the end I said, so Jesus' message is, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just give it to God. Seek his kingdom, kingdom focus on him, and let him worry about it. Just, just don't worry about it. He didn't say do nothing about it, but he did say don't worry about it. Don't worry about your life. So she comes up to me and says, can you pray with me? I, I need a job. I'm trying not to worry about it, but I really need a job. That's the emphasis of the conversation, right? And so I said, yeah, let's do it right, right now. Let's pray. And we prayed something pretty simple like, um, Heavenly Father, you, you know the need. Providing a job is well within your power. Please do it. Okay? That was on November 6th. On Friday, November 11th, I got this text message from Jessica, which said, blank wants you to know she got two amazing jobs. And if you ever wanted to throw out an amen in church, it's a great time for that. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? God responds to our prayers, not just Jesus' prayers, our prayers. Now, a skeptic might say, okay, that seems like probably a coincidence. And maybe, but I guess I would say, um, the only people I know who like usually go that direction, in my experience, are people who don't really spend a lot of time in prayer, so they don't ever build that connection. You see what I'm saying? That's that's kind of that's harsh. It doesn't make me a bad pastor for saying that out loud, though it makes me a good one. I'm just saying, unless we spend the time with God in prayer, we don't have the opportunity to build our faith and actually see those kinds of things happen for ourselves. And so if your tendency is to be skeptical about that, my, my uh, encouragement would be maybe try it, test drive it, and see 
if God will prove himself faithful. Because then the pressure's off. Like, it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him to decide if he wants to prove himself, okay? The Bible is really consistent with itself in this way. We can only approach God by faith. No matter how much knowledge we have or how convinced we are intellectually, the Bible is really clear that without faith, Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God. He wants us to approach him by faith. So what I'm saying is that God is on the move here. The question is never, is God on the move? The question is, are we moving with him? He's on the move here in our church, in our time, and not in like a weird holy roller kind of way. God is on the move in response to believing prayer. He's on the move in response to believing prayer. John Wesley, another guy who has uh, profoundly influenced your life, and I won't bore you with the details on who John Wesley is. This is what he said. He said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. So Jesus' disciples said, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And, And you know what? I think we should just ask him the same thing. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to be present with you? God, would you just, in your grace, be patient with us and help us learn how to be present with you? Jesus gave them and us this simple instruction. His instruction doesn't involve special words or facing a certain direction. God, I pray that you would just hear our simple prayer in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul said that we should pray without ceasing in his letter to the Thessalonians. If we're going to do that, it probably means we got to just have like casual dialogue at all times because those roads are dangerous and I want you looking straight ahead, right? You, you can't just like stop and kneel and pray formal prayers all the time if you're going to pray without ceasing, okay? So Jesus isn't hung up on formalities. The first thing he tells them is when you pray, say, Father, Say, Father. Jesus calls God Father. And what's unique about this particular usage is that um, it implies a, both a relationship and a position, um, a relationship and a position of authority in our, in our lives. Okay, now there's a difference here between um, saying someone is a father and saying someone is my father, right? Those are, those are totally different things. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, call God Father. Okay, I want to just illustrate this. What if Luke had been standing before Darth Vader and Darth would have said, Luke, I am a father. Okay, right? And then Luke would have just taken him apart. That's how that would have played out. But But if Darth stands before Luke and says, Luke, no one, I just thought somebody would not be able to resist the urge. I am your father, that's a different thing, right? Uh, Star Wars saga ends right there if Darth says, I am a father, but he says, I am your father. And that's the difference that Jesus is making. It's a totally different thing if God is your father than if he's just, you know, like, oh, heavenly father out there somewhere. But if he's your father, he's for you. He's with you. God bless you. He's for you in all things. It means that the things I'm insecure about, I should probably think through, should I really be insecure about that if I have a heavenly father who's with me? Probably not. I probably, probably shouldn't. 
Sometimes we, when we pray, we address God like this, Heavenly Father. And that's, that's true and right. He is that. But it's important to impro- approach him as your Heavenly Father. He's your Heavenly Father. And that's what he is. He's a Heavenly Father, but he's also your Heavenly Father. I've known people who approach relationships in a very transactional way, like a business partnership, right? Like... Um, like, uh, I did my part, I did what was expected of me, so if you don't do your part, what's expected of you, then we got a problem, and uh, then there's friction in the relationship, and as soon as the arrangement becomes one-sided in some way, they sort of check out, or maybe become hostile toward that person for not doing their part, um, but aren't you glad God's not your business partner? That would really be a bummer. I'm glad he's not my business partner because he always does his part. He's always God, and I rarely do my part. I sometimes do my part. I sometimes follow him. Um, I try a lot, but he always does his part. And even though I come up short, he loves me anyway. How about that? I'm so glad that he's not my business partner. Other people approach relationships like a job where one person The person with the leverage or the bigger personality, they're the boss, and the other person is the employee. Ever ever been in a weird situation like that? Um, One person is the employee, and one person is in charge, giving the orders and setting all of the expectations. But aren't you glad God's not your boss? Because his business is reconciling the universe, and his standard is perfection. And if he's gauging your job performance, that's bad news for you. Aren't you glad he's not your boss? That's not how the relationship works, okay? He's given you grace upon grace. He's a giver. He's not a taker. And he's already performed for you, so you don't have to worry about your job performance. He's not just a father. He's your father. Prayer is about cultivating that relationship with your heavenly father. Prayer is about staying connected to God. Prayer is how you make yourself present with God in a personal relationship. It's like this. Uh, what happens when your phone rings and it's a number that you don't know? Like just some random, you know, uh, some random area code, like maybe from Maryland or something. Andrew told me a really funny story about that. Uh, what do you do? Well, you do nothing, right? You, you silence it and go on about your business and maybe they leave a message, maybe they don't, but either way, I'm probably not going to listen to it. But what happens if your phone rings and it's your spouse or your kid or your best friend? What happens if your phone rings and it's your sibling, the one you like? (laughs) Oh, if only that was a joke. I'm just kidding. I only have one sibling, so he's the one I like. Uh, uh, What do you do? Well, you answer it even if you have to brush some other things aside because it's more important than finishing the dishes or getting to the next level of Subway Surfer. I got to take this phone call right now. This is important to me. Like when Brandy calls, I see Brandy's name pop up. I'm excited. I'm happy that she's calling me. Or when Hannah calls, I'm worried because she's my child. Right? I'm, I'm nervous, like somewhat joking about that, but like parent, you, you get that, right? You're like, oh gosh, they never call. She's a zillennial. Why is she calling? She always texts. Uh, you get worried, but either way, you're going to answer it, right? I, like if it's either of them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer because it's important to me. The significance of Jesus telling you to approach God like he's your father is that he's going to answer. That's how it works. So if you were to go down just a little farther to verse 11, Jesus gives this rhetorical, he asks a rhetorical question. This is what he says. He says, 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will, will give him a scorpion? It's, it's a rhetorical question. Hopefully they didn't answer. It's like this. Uh, Mom, what's for dinner? Well, son, I actually didn't bring you any dinner, but I brought you this cobra. That would never happen, right? Like, it's almost too absurd to even, like, warrant answering. And that's kind of the point that he's making, is that, of course, God will respond in kind. No one would respond in the way that Jesus is, is suggesting, and neither will God respond to his children that way. Verse 13, he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, this kind of reads a little bit tricky because he, I don't think he's actually calling them evil. Like, that's not the point. And, and he's actually not making a conditional statement. He's not saying, Matt, if you give nice things to Miles, then I'll give you nice stuff. But if you don't, then forget it. That's, that's really not the point that he's making. What he's saying is, Matt, if you, even though you're a, a flawed human, if, if you desire deeply to give good thing to Miles... Just imagine how much more a perfect heavenly father who loves you more than you could ever love your kid desires to give you good things. That's the point that Jesus is making. Because you understand that relationship to a child that you care about, you can also understand the relationship uh, to God the Father and how much he wants to give you good things. So Jesus could have addressed God as master, Lord, almighty God, creator of the universe, ruler of all, but he told us to address God as Father. That's how you do it, because that's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. Um, Pastor Rick and I have a friend, a very seasoned friend, how about that, named Dr. Don Bryan. Um, he's in his mid-80s now and still is like traveling the world, preaching all over the place, training pastors and church leaders raising money for ministries all over the place. Just an amazing guy. He's got a thousand times more energy than I do. And whenever I'm with him, I refer to him as Dr. Brian. I call him Dr. Brian. And no matter how many times he says, Kelly, it's Don. I don't really care. It's Dr. Brian. Right? Like, that's not going to change my mind. If I'm feeling really casual, I might go with Dr. Don. I haven't tried it out yet. We'll see. Okay? But here's the reality. My dad has been far more influential in my life has made far more sacrifice for me personally, is far more vested in my life, and I'm not about to start calling him Mr. Armstrong, because that's not how it works. Like, that, that might even actually be, like, offensive in some way, okay? Some people do call him Mr. Armstrong, but that's not how it works for me, because he's my dad. I call him dad. Okay, see, in Jesus' day, nobody would have called God dad. No one ever had before. In fact, scholars have done research combing through centuries of rabbinical literature to try and find a time when someone referred to God as their father in a relational way. And what they found was, occasionally you do see that term, but it's not father like dad. It's father like George Washington is the father of America, right? Like, we don't have any relationship to George Washington. It's, it had never been done before. Jesus did it right, right here. In their day, they thought it was offensive, even blasphemous. But the truth is, calling your dad, dad, is not irreverent in any way. It's actually a sign of respect. Dustin, you have one dad. You will never call anyone else your dad because you love him. That's his position in your life. 
It's not disrespectful at all. In fact, I would say it's one of the most reverent things you could call someone. One of my greatest joys in life, I shouldn't even say this because I feel like it's going to be leveraged against me, <laughs> is when I do something for my daughter or I give her something and she says, thanks, Dad. She just has a way about saying it. I just, in fact, the other day it snowed a whole bunch and I was outside freezing, clearing off the sidewalk, and I noticed that her little truck was just buried in the snow. So I went over there and got all the snow off of it. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, she's going to say it. <laughs> I'm just, like when Micah comes in and says, hey, Dad, or when one of my kids even comes to me and says, Dad, could you help me with, that's like music to my ears. I, I just love that so much. And what I would say is maybe today is the time for us to start saying, thanks, Dad. Maybe today is the time for us to say, Dad, could you help me with whatever? Maybe some of us just need to like stop for a second and just say, hey, Dad. Mike usually goes with Padre, but. <laughs> but maybe today's the time for us to start making that connection more intentionally. First John 3, uh, John is uh, the youngest of Jesus' disciples, and he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved in the book of John. And, he wrote, uh, he wrote other letters. In 1 John 3, 1, he, this is what he said. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what you are. We just receive that. That is what you are, a child of God. And not like in the cliche sense that like, yeah, we're all children of God. I know that could, that could totally be cliche, but I'm saying you are a child of God. By faith in Christ, it's his, it's his gift to you. By faith in Christ, you are a child of God, and that deserves a thanks, Dad. I'm so grateful. Thanks for that. So I just want to call you right now to pray for a few, about a few specific things for me uh, before we, we wrap up. The first one is, uh, if you just need to receive adoption into God's family, maybe you're, you're here in the room and you know you just wandered away from that, maybe you're watching online. Uh, if you just need to receive adoption into God's family by putting your faith in Christ, you can do that right now. God sent his son into the world. We celebrate this at Christmas. But that son would grow up to die on the cross to pay the bill for our sin so that we could turn to our heavenly father and say, hey, dad, we could call him dad. The second thing is maybe you've got a situation in your life that you just need to say, dad, would would you just help me with this? Could you help me figure this out? Like, I know for a fact there are things pressing on every single person in this room right now. And the first response we should have is to turn to our Heavenly Father. We're going to pray about those. A third thing is, maybe you're, you're living life on the foundation. You're, you're building on the words of Jesus, but God has put on your heart some specific people who are not. And I want to challenge you. Give them a specific name and purpose in your heart to pray for them consistently on an ongoing basis. We're going to pray for those people right here before we go. And lastly, I want to ask you to pray with me that God would just take the lid off of our experience as a church family, uh, that we would, we would not sort of limit him by our own fatigue or small thinking or, or whatever it is that sort of holds us back but that we would just turn to him in prayer and expect that he can do extraordinary things, that he will draw all people to himself 
for his own glory and that we will just walk in an amazing relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray out loud, but I, I just want to... I just want to ask you right now to really engage this in the quietness of your own heart, in your own mind, to really be present with Jesus. Okay, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us how to come to God. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Father, it seems strange that I, that we, should be able to walk right up to your throne of grace, and yet you have made a way, and here we are before you. Lord, we just confess together our brokenness and our frailty, the sin in our lives that separates us from you. God, we would just renew our faith in you. Thank you that you sent your son into the world to pay for our sin, and then you raised him from the dead so that we could have eternal life with you. So God, we thank you for that, and we just declare our faith in that work. Lord, we bring our cares to you as you, you've given us the, the instruction to cast our cares on you and to lean into you. So God, we just say today, we're not going to worry about it because you know what we need. God, we just turn our attention to your kingdom, to your will, and we just ask you, God, would you provide for each one of those situations? whether it be financial, whether it be employment, whether it be in a marriage, in a family, a physical ailment, what, whatever it might be, God, you know and you hear each heart right now. Lord, we give those to you by faith and we trust in you. Lord, as I cycle through my mind and I just think of the people I know who need you and as you hear in the spirit the names of the people that are on the hearts of each person here, God, we Give them to you, and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you till the soil of their hearts and call them to you? And Father, we say, if you can use me, I am available. I pray that you would work in that by your Holy Spirit. And lastly, God, we just come before you as a church family. Lord, we know that you are not tired. We know that you're not resting right now. You're on the move, and we want to be on board with you. So God, we just ask you, to do extraordinary things through this little church family. God, that you would move in powerful ways. As our Heavenly Father, we just lean on you and we follow you. Give us the faith and the boldness to do it each and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Rick, why don't you come on up and, and round it out for us.